My favorite feature of the campus of Dallas Theological Seminary is a statue that stands in one of the courtyards there. Every time I'm in that courtyard, my eyes are always drawn to it. Now, I'm not the only one. At any time on Dallas Seminary's campus, you will find people gathered around this statue, praying, reading their Bible, uh, fellowshipping together. It's a centerpiece of what's happening. And the statue is a sculpture of Jesus washing the feet of his disciples. And one of the reasons why I think this is such an arresting visual image is that here in the middle of a theological campus where people are thinking about heady concepts and thinking about the idea of pastoral leadership is a daily reminder that we were here not to be served, but to serve. And it was hard to think too much of yourself when you looked across the courtyard and you saw a statue of the Lord of the universe on his knees washing someone's feet. This morning what I'd like to do is remind all of us of the truth that none of us are here to be served, but to serve. And this morning, we don't want to look simply at a statue, but at the real thing. So if you have your Bible, would you turn to the book of John, chapter 13. John, chapter 13. It's page 763 in the Bibles that the church provides. John 13, to set the context, in just a moment, John is going to tell us that it is the just before the Passover feast. This is what we know as Maundy Thursday or the Thursday before Good Friday. It's Holy Week. According to John, Jesus will be crucified the next day. So here we are in John 13. And John tells us, verse 1, it was just before the Passover feast. Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, now listen to this, he now showed them the full extent of his love. The full extent of his love. What John means is, is that the story he's about to narrate is the fullest expression of Jesus' love for his disciples in his lifetime. So we're not talking about his death, but during his lifetime here on earth. This story of Jesus washing his disciples' feet is the single best example of how much he loves them. John continues, the evening meal was being served, and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. 
Now, to understand what's going on in this passage and why it's such a full expression of Jesus' love for his disciples, we have to better grasp the notion of foot washing and the place that it played in that society. In the dry desert climates of the Middle East, of course, foot washing would be important. Anywhere you traveled with simply sandals on, your feet would get dirty in the dusty land, and it was necessary to have your feet washed or to wash your feet. The first example or the first mention of foot washing that we have in the Bible comes in Genesis 18. If you remember in Genesis 18, God himself decides he's going to visit Abraham. And he comes as a human in disguise with two others. And the text tells us that Abraham looked up and saw three men standing nearby. He doesn't know that it's God, but it's God and two others who've come. When he saw them, he hurried from the entrance of his tent to meet them and bowed low to the ground. He said, if I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, do not pass your servant by. Let a little water be brought, and then you may all wash your feet and rest under this tree. Now what's noteworthy about this is that Abraham is famed for his hospitality. He was a great and very hospitable person to any guests who might have come by. Now it's also worth noting that he clearly gets that he is of a lower social status than his three guests. He bows before them. Now he doesn't realize how much lower he is because he doesn't know that it's God. But clearly he gets the fact that some important people have come to see him. But despite the fact that he is renowned for his hospitality and that the men who come to see him are of a higher social standing, notice Abraham doesn't wash their feet. He brings them water so they can wash their own feet. That's because washing feet is nasty business. And Abraham's being perfectly hospitable. But nobody would have expected that he would have done the foot washing. You bring the water and your guests wash their feet. Now it might have been something where a servant would have done it. Not Abraham, but a servant. And we sort of see that in another mention of foot washing in the Old Testament. And this has to do with King David. In 1 Samuel 25, King David sends word to a woman named Abigail who earlier had shown herself to be a beautiful woman of character and in her wisdom and in her godliness had helped David immensely. And when David finds out that her husband had died, David sends word to her that he wants to marry her. And we're told in 1 Samuel 25, David's servants went to Carmel and said to Abigail, David has sent us to you to take you to become his wife. She bowed with her face to the ground and said, here is your maidservant ready to serve you and wash the feet of my master's servants. See, what Abigail's trying to say is, I'm not worthy to be the queen of Israel. She's not of noble stock. She's not of noble birth. Now, she is of noble character. And so David wants to marry her, but her way of expressing the fact that she's not worth it is she says, I would even wash the feet of David's servants. Because if you wanted to show how low you were, how unworthy you were, what other task would you mention than the washing of feet? That she would be willing to do that. Now, so degrading and so humiliating was washing of feet that one rabbi living after the time of Jesus 
actually commanded this. A Hebrew slave must not wash the feet of his master. A Hebrew slave must not wash the feet of his master. His point was a Gentile can do it. A female could do it. But a Hebrew male slave made in the image of God, according to this rabbi, it would be too degrading. Even though he's a slave, he should do other tasks. But if the master wants you to wash his feet, that's where you've got to draw the line. And you've got to keep some level of dignity. Now, it was true, we have examples, where a wife would wash her husband's feet. We have examples where a servant would wash his master's feet. We have examples where students might wash their teacher's feet or a disciple might wash their master's feet. But in all of those examples, it is of a socially inferior person washing the feet of someone who is above them in the hierarchy. Noteworthy is the fact that in all of Jewish literature up until the Gospel of John, and not only Jewish literature, but Greco-Roman literature, basically anything from the classical world, no one has ever found even a single example of a superior washing the feet of someone who's inferior, socially speaking. Not one. Not a single example. Zero. We've never found one yet until you get to John 13. This may very well be the first time in human history that somebody who was a teacher, who was socially above, actually stooped to wash the feet of those beneath him. That's why this is so stunning. Now, Peter is the only one who's able to get the words out of his mouth, but the rest of them have got to be thinking the same thing. What? You're going to wash our feet? It's unheard of. Nobody has categories for this. There's no stories about this happening anywhere, at any time. And so they're completely overwhelmed and stunned by this fact. So Jesus, in verse 12, explains to them what and why he's doing what he's doing. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to the place. Do you understand what I have done for you, he asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. I tell you the truth, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Jesus is quite clear in his explanation that he's not washing feet for the sake of washing feet, that this is an example that he wants us to follow, you and me, that this is something we are commanded to do. But what does that mean? Does that mean that we should engage in foot washing ceremonies? Does that mean that we are supposed to apply this text in that way? What is, how do we do this today? I mean, Jesus is commanding it. 
He's not unclear about it, is he? He's saying, I want you to do the same thing. But how do we do that? What does that look like? Well, fortunately for us, the Apostle Paul is in the same boat that we are. He too knows that Jesus commanded his followers to serve one another as Jesus does here in John 13. And he wants to figure out a way, how do I get them to do it? And so in Philippians chapter 2, Paul talks about this attitude and says really the same thing that Jesus says. Paul says, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be held on to tenaciously. Instead, he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant. Paul not only has in mind the cross, but most likely John 13. I mean, this is Jesus at his most servile. This is where he is taking the role of a servant and washing someone's feet. And Paul's point is, is he wants the church in Philippi to do exactly what Jesus said they were supposed to do. Have that same attitude. Now, how is he going to go about causing that to happen? Well, in Philippi, Paul doesn't institute any foot washing ceremonies. Instead, what he does is he picks out the names of two people in their local church who they knew well, Timothy and Epaphroditus. And he says, they exemplify this attitude. Look at what they've done. And he goes on to describe who they are and what they've done because the church knows them. He says, that's what it looks like in person. Now, I said last week that there are no accidents in God's timing, that he's got our preaching schedule in his hand. Not only was true last week, it's also true this week. Because it happens that this week is the week that our beloved Jim Carlson is retiring from our pastoral staff here at Calvary Church. Jim has served on our staff here for 20 years. More than that, he's been in ministry for almost 50 years. I think we added up, it was 49 as we counted it through. And this week, he is retiring from our staff. Now, praise the Lord, he's not going anywhere. Uh, he'll still be here, still available, still uh, opportunities for us to interact with him, for him to do ministry here. But this week, it's drawing to a close his official being on our staff at the church. Now, again, God's timing is perfect. And if I was going to have somebody who exemplified John 13 in the way that Timothy and Epaphroditus did for Paul, it would be Jim Carlson. And so it seems from the Lord this morning that I share with you five principles about what it means to serve as Jesus served and to use Jim Carlson as an example to help us see that embodied in a real person that we know that's part of our church, just like Paul did for the church at Philippi. So five principles of what it means to serve as Jesus served. The first one is this. When we serve as Jesus served, we will often find ourselves laboring for those who are not worthy of our efforts. Remember, Jesus is washing the feet of people who are not worthy to lace his shoes. 
Remember when John the Baptist said that? There is one coming whom I'm not worthy to even mess with his shoes? Well, he was the best of the bunch. And now Jesus is turning around and washing the feet of those who are not even qualified to touch his. You see, when we serve as Jesus served, we will sometimes find ourselves laboring for those who are not worthy of our efforts. When I became senior pastor of Calvary Church five years ago, I was 33 years old at the time. I had, at that point, 15 months of experience as a pastoral intern and eight months of experience as an associate pastor. That was my qualifications. At that point, Jim Carlson had been a successful senior pastor, both in Muskegon and in Arizona, for 16 years, and at that point had been in ministry for 45 years. Not to mention he was the interim senior pastor before I came. Those were his qualifications. You heard mine. And the sad part about the whole thing is he was coming to work for me, that he was going to be working under me. Now, you can hear there's no business that that's the way it should have been. But that's how God set it up. And I can tell you with purity of heart that not one day has Jim done anything except be incredibly supportive. He's done anything I've ever asked him to do. He's gone above and beyond anything anybody has asked him to do. He has labored and worked for somebody he never should have been working for. But in God's provision, that's the way he set it up. Those who serve as Jesus served will often find themselves laboring for those who are not qualified, those who are not worthy. I mean, really, which one of these disciples deserved to have Jesus wash his feet? Which one of them was so qualified that Jesus needed to do this for them? Nobody. But the heart of Jesus labors for those who are unworthy. A second principle that we can see from John chapter 13. When we serve as Jesus served, it will often mean humbling ourselves so that others can be lifted up. Jesus is washing their feet. I mean, it's not like he cleared the table. It's not simply that he did an act of service. It's that he humbled himself and got down on his knees and washed their feet, the lowliest, most menial task you could do. And he does that because he's humbling himself so that he might lift them up, so they might be encouraged and they might be exalted. That's the heart of a servant. I told you when I first became the senior pastor of Calvary Church that Jim Carlson was working under the ministry that I was responsible for leading on the staff. Now, that meant we had him stay on as our shepherding pastor. That meant he was part of our senior pastoral team, which meant that he was to come to the board meetings. Now, little did I know at the time, uh, but Jim had a plan for how he was going to work this. And only recently have I actually figured out the grand scheme of that plan. But it went something like this. At the beginning of my time as senior pastor, he came to every board meeting. And he was very vocal 
and very loud in his support of me and the church and where we were going. And he allowed no naysaying about difficult times and those sorts of things. He was encouraging and supportive. And then along the way, he didn't tell anybody, but he slowly showed up less and less. And the reason he was doing that, God helped me figure this out later, was because he wanted the board members to look to me as their pastor and not to him. And that happened over time. It was a seamless transition. And you know what he had done? He had taken 20 years of credibility, 20 years of uh, the people's trust, and he gave it to me. That's right. That's right. He decreased so that I could increase. That's the heart of a servant, willing to humble themselves so that others might be lifted up. Can you imagine what these disciples must have thought of themselves? The Lord of the universe washed their feet. What kind of confidence would that give them? What kind of assurance would that give them as how loved they were? That's why this is such a great expression of Jesus' love. He's on his knees washing their feet. And if we're going to serve as Jesus served, it means that sometimes we humble ourselves so that others can be lifted up. Amen. We choose to decrease so that they can increase. There's a third principle we can see from Jesus. And it has to do with exactly whose feet it is that he's washing. John names two people by name that get their feet washed. Who are they? Peter is one of them. And that's how Jesus has a long dialogue with Peter. Who's the second? Judas. Notice what John says about Judas in verse 2. The evening meal was being served, and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. Question. Does, Ju does Jesus know that Judas is going to betray him? Yes, he does. In fact, the very next section, you can glance down at verse 18. If you have an NIV, the superscript says, Jesus predicts his betrayal. This is the night of the Last Supper, which we say on the night in which he was betrayed, he took bread. This is the night of his betrayal, this night. And at the Last Supper, Jesus will tell John, the author of this gospel, it's Judas. He's the one that's going to do it. Knowing full well that later that evening, Judas will betray him. Does Jesus wash his feet? He does. Isn't that amazing? And the third principle is, is that when we serve as Jesus served, it means sometimes we will serve our enemies. We will bless our enemies through our service. Jim Carlson's been in ministry for 50 years. You can't be in ministry for 50 years doing the Lord's work without having people betray you, speak evil of you, gossip about you, try to undercut you, say mean words to you. And he's had all of that happen. I've seen some of it even here at Calvary. But you know what I've never seen? 
I've never seen Jim Carlson retaliate. I've never been in a closed door meeting, and I've been in a lot of closed door meetings with him. I've never heard him speak disparagingly. I've never seen him single out somebody who was being mean to him or betraying him and refused to serve that person or refused to bless that person. He preached to all of us. He ministered to whomever, even those who had despitefully used him. That's the heart of a servant, is that sometimes we serve even our enemies. Can you imagine the Lord of the universe washing the feet of Judas on the night he was going to betray him? There's a fourth principle. Notice verse number seven. Jesus replied, you do not recognize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. Jesus' point is, is that the disciples don't get it. You see, at the end of this amazing foot washing ceremony, nobody says thank you. Nobody stands up and cheers. Nobody says amen. Nobody says, wow, that was the most incredible experience we've ever had. The God of the universe washed our feet. They sit there in stunned silence. And the principle is this, is that when we serve as Jesus served, we will sometimes serve without any recognition. See, the disciples don't understand. And even after he explains it to them in verse 12, that's not what he's talking about when he says, later you'll get it. They have to wait for the resurrection. They have to wait for the Spirit to come. They have to wait until it dawns on them. This is the Creator in human form, on His knees, washing my feet. And slowly they'll begin to get what an amazing thing that was. But at the time, nobody says thank you. I want to show you the first official correspondence that I have from Jim Carlson. It's a memo. It's to me and three other young men from Jim, with his little signatures, little initials right there. I've kept it for all these years. It's dated June 24th, 1994. So whatever that is, 17 years ago, something like that. And at the time, I was 22 years old, and I was interested in thinking more about serving God and in ministry and those sorts of things, along with three other young men. And Jim was writing this memo to us to tell us he was offering to meet with us, to help us think about ministry things. And if you see on the section on the right, there is the sort of curriculum or the syllabus of the stuff we would be talking about. But at the top, he wrote this. The group will meet, now listen, on Friday mornings at 6.30 a.m. at Calvary Church every week, every week during the summer. Now, at the time, I had no appreciation for a person in Jim's position to take every week during the summer on Friday mornings at 6.30 a.m. to meet with four guys who had no promise whatsoever. There was no guarantee that we were going to amount to anything. I don't even know if we said thank you to him at the end of this. Now, you say... But you're up here now talking about him. 
I can guarantee you, neither I nor he thought this was how this was going to turn out at that point. But that's not why we do it. You serve whether or not you're going to be recognized for it or not. 17 years ago, every week during the summer, at 6.30 in the morning, Jim Carlson showed up and talked to four guys about what it might be like to go into ministry. That's why I kept that memo for 17 years. I still got all the stuff too. <laughs> Let me give you an even better example of that. I've known Jim, obviously, at least 17 years. I've watched him as his first wife, Karen, battled cancer for 22 years. And at different phases, especially at the end, there wasn't anything she could do to recognize what he was doing for her. She didn't even understand. She couldn't say thank you. But yet he was there. He was there every minute of every day, caring for her, loving her, serving her. And I know many of you have done that as well for those in your life who you've loved, who have experienced death. And I watch too with his beautiful new wife, Denise, that God has provided, how he continues to serve her as well. The principle is, is that if we are going to serve as Jesus served, we'll often do so without recognition. I mean, can you imagine the angels in heaven watching John 13 and thinking, don't they get it? Don't they know what he's doing? Don't they know who he is? And for them to sit there in silence, the angels had to be dumbfounded. Say thank you. Do something. It's Jesus on his knees washing your feet. But when we serve like Jesus serves, we sometimes serve without recognition. The last principle is that when we serve as Jesus served, we put the interests of God's kingdom above our own interests. These Jesus, he didn't need to wash their feet. This didn't fulfill any felt need or perceived need or real need that he had. It wasn't like there was some experience. I was like, I think I'll try that. I've not done that before. This was not in his best interest. But they needed him to. They needed to know just how much he loved them. They needed an example of what it meant to serve. They needed that confidence that came from this action to them. And so Jesus put their needs and the needs of the kingdom above himself. In 2001, God called Jim Carlson back to Calvary Church. He had been at a senior pastor in Arizona, where albeit it was a tough situation, but he was a successful senior pastor. But God made him clear that he needed to come back to Calvary Church. Again, in hindsight, it was because Calvary was about to begin a decade of somewhat uncertainty, of transition, of difficulty. And Jim needed to be here for his rock-solid shepherding heart to offer stability in the transition, to be here uh, as a rock that we could look to. Over the past decade, at least four times if you count this one, Jim has tried to retire from Calvary. <laughs> I know there's hope, but I thought that God has said no. <laughs> Three of those times, he has been talked out of it. Because, not because he needed to be here. It's not that he needed more money. It's not that he needed another feather in his cap. He had already done everything you needed you could do in ministry. He stayed because Calvary needed him. He stayed because Ed needed him. He stayed because I needed him. He stayed because we needed him. 
And so he's been here, not because it's in his best interest, but because it's in our best interest. Along those same lines, he was asked to be the interim senior pastor. Now, there are two ways you can be an interim senior pastor. One is you can just sort of babysit things until God brings the next person along. The other way you can do it is that you can begin to get things ready. He chose the latter and not the former. And during the time, he made some very difficult, very hard, even unpopular decisions at the time because it was in the best interest of the church. And so he used his capital. He used that reputation. He used his godliness to move through things that prepared the way so that the next senior pastor would have it easier. And that happened to be me, and I'm incredibly grateful. But neither he nor I knew it at the time. And so he did it not because it was going to be me. He did it because it was the right thing to do. And that's what God's kingdom deserved. You see, when God the Father was looking for someone who would come wash the feet of humans, the only one he knew would be willing to do it was Jesus the Son. And Jesus came not because it was in his best interest, but because it was in our best interest. See, that's why the foot washing is the fullest expression of Jesus' love for the disciples. It's tied to the cross. See, the cross is where Jesus obeys the Father and says, not my will, but yours be done. The cross is where he endures for the joy set before him that we might be saved. It's in our best interest, not in his. And that's the heart of a servant. Ed Dobson, the former senior pastor, once told me, you will never find a person like Jim Carlson. And the only problem I have with that statement is that if possible, it was an understatement. Interestingly enough, it was the exact same statement that Paul said about Timothy in Philippians chapter 2 as he was commending him and his heart of servanthood. He says there, I have no one else like him. He's one of a kind. Why? Because he takes a genuine interest in your welfare. What do the rest of us do? We look out for our own interests, not those of Jesus Christ but not Timothy and not Jim Carlson. You see, I thought when I left Dallas Seminary that I was going to miss seeing that sculpture every day. I needed that reminder that I'm not here to be served, but to serve. But little did I know that when I arrived at Calvary Church, John 13 was here waiting for me. Not in sculpture form, but embodied in a real person with real struggles and real problems and real sins, but with the heart of a servant. Now the question for us is, is that, what about us? I mean, Jesus says in John 13, we're all supposed to be doing this. And we have no excuse. We not only have the example of Jesus written in John 13, he's given us for 20 years that example embodied in a real live person that we know. And so we are without excuse. So the question for you and the question for me this morning is are we going to serve in this way? Are we going to serve the poor and the oppressed, those that may be younger than us, those that don't seem to have any potential, those with special needs? 
Those for whom we may think or the world may think they're not worthy of our efforts. Are we going to choose to do what Jesus did? Are we going to choose not just to serve them, but to humble ourselves so they might be lifted up? To willingly choose to decrease so that others might increase? Are we willing to help others live up to their potential? Even if it means that we don't accomplish all of the things that we might have wanted to accomplish. Are you and I going to serve even our enemies? Those perhaps in the church, in our family, in our workplaces that have betrayed us, that have gossiped about us, that have spoken evil about us. Will we choose to still wash their feet? Will we choose to be kind to them, to minister to them, to do like Jesus did with Judas? Are we willing to serve even when there's no recognition? To be that spouse whose hard work is ignored by our husband or by a wife? To be that parent whose children don't recognize all the sacrifices that have gone into parenting? To be that servant at the church whose value is undervalued by Calvary? Where we've not yet recognized what you've done and how faithfully you've served. Are you and I willing to serve without recognition? Because the final question is, is are we willing to put the kingdom's interests above our own? Amen. Are we willing to give sacrificially? Amen. Are we willing to accept an assignment that we don't feel confident doing? Are we willing to step out of the limelight so that Jesus might get more credit? Amen. At the end of the day, the question for us is, is that are we willing to follow the example of Jesus? He came to wash our feet so that we might see what it means to serve one another and be reminded we are not here to be served, but to serve. And Jesus tells us that if we do that in our life, we will be blessed. Let's pray together. Jesus, it boggles our mind that you would become human for all of eternity and wash our feet. The lowliest, most menial task, and you embraced it. Thank you for that example. Above every other example that we've seen in any human during their life, exemplified further in your death. But thank you, Jesus, not just for these lofty examples that you've done, but also for people like Jim Carlson who have taken that heart of a servant and put it into practice. Lord, we are indeed without excuse. Help Calvary Church to be known as a place where we serve one another, where our eyes are drawn to John 13, and we are reminded that we are here to serve. Thank you for your example, Jesus. May we follow in it fully. In your name we pray. Amen.